you have to understand these four big things before you can decide whether or not you want to become Catholic. God, faith, prayer, and church authority. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I am Mike Gomer-Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dave, not a mouth breather, Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> uh, good, man. It's I, I had a live event on Monday. That was fun. Ooh, where yeah. were you? I was here. I was here locally. You know, I was doing uh, a Catholic truth about angels and demons, and uh, the... the uh, so it was. They actually did like this this tandem event where they had Mike Aquilina come in and speak about angels. Did he reference the church fathers? Answer: Yes. Go on. <laughs> but anyways, the guy started out like when I got there and I was setting up my stuff. He was like, "Yeah, we had Mike come last week. Boy, he, I mean, he hasn't. This is the first time he spoke and like publicly in a long time. And yo, he he brought all the fire he had been saving up, and it's like, oh great, thanks. You know, that's, <laughs> that's isn't it funny the psychology of speakers? Oh. Like we are constantly yeah. evaluating ourselves compared to other people and all that stuff. Right, it is so funny. Right, the, you know when yeah. I first moved to Pittsburgh, I I followed Scott Hahn four times in a row. Like as the next speaker in a series, four times in a row. It was so awful. And one time I got booked at a men's conference and he was after me. So I was preceding him and I, by accident, they forwarded me an email saying, um, we'll make sure that the ushers stay out at the doors for Dave's talk because that's when everyone will be coming in to hear Scott. <laughs> <laughs> But Isn't it's true, funny? you know, it's true. Oh, yeah, you're, you're a headliner. Oh, yeah. You're the open yeah. act, right? right? Like, right. Oh, it is so funny. I've been I've been that in in many a conference, like either the last speaker where people are leaving or the yeah. first speaker to get people warmed up. And you're like, well, you right. signed up for the whole conference. Why don't right. you just come for the whole talk? No. Right. OK. Right. right. Uh, one day I'll have a name big enough. It'll be in bright lights. It'll be bigger than the church name. I doubt oh, it. Wait. Oh, wait, I'm going fully evangelical on that one. <laughs> oh, Big yeah. Eva. Big Eva. Yeah, so uh, I just had an event canceled because of COVID. Okay. Well, the I numbers just, are starting to bump up again. and Especially in the Midwest, which is where my event was. I'm super okay. bummed, but uh, I'm going to be uh, for the Diocese of Omaha, and we're just going to do a, a Zoom conference. And, you know, I know there is um, – Bishop Aaron was talking about this. There is a real thing like Zoom fatigue. It, it is real. Sit in oh. front of cameras all the time. Right. But I will say the other interesting thing is it gives you access that you otherwise wouldn't be able – like people can't fly you places. People can't do this yeah. or that. But you can you can get access to people that otherwise wouldn't. And, and here's a case in point at my own um, parish. We have a Bible study called Cornerstone. And, you know, they have about 100 people who meet, mostly retirees, but not entirely. And they meet on Wednesday mornings, 100, 120 people. Great Bible study. Well, now that they're forced to do it Zoom, they have people who moved away two or three years ago who are now who doing are back. It. Yeah. Yeah. And they have people who it's like, listen, my sister-in-law lives in Skokie, Illinois, they don't have any Bible studies at their local parish. 
could they join here? They're really hungry for Christ and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> they end up being able to feed a lot more people because everyone's just kind of into the Zoom thing, you know, or I'll hop yeah. on a Skype call or do whatever. And so it's just been it's been it's it's been an interesting tool of evangelization that, that I'm seeing. So so the the guys who we've become close with who like re- remodeled our house, I've told you about them a bunch of times, the old mm-hmm. the old guys. Um and and they are like family now, but they have a Zoom rosary every morning at seven o'clock for Amber for Amber. Oh wow. And and like the other day, like one of them was like he was like, Oh, what about that that game in high school when you uh you know and I was like, What, John, how do you know about that? And he's like, Oh, your basketball coaches, your high school basketball coaches on our Zoom rosary. I'm like, what? How did that happen? You know, like they have people from all over the country who joined the Zoom Rosary for for Amber. It's funny. Oh, that's awesome. That is yeah. awesome. I love stuff like that. Yeah. And for me, so you know, you have the balance between live streaming, right? Which is what a lot of people are doing, doing things like Zoom calls where you're basically live streaming, you know, you're talking to people live. Okay. And then the other thing is uh on demand, creating on demand content. The yeah. internet in our area, plus at our church with our school that has to do a bunch of live streaming in different classes, is taking such a beating that the internet speeds are so unreliable. So when me and you record this, like I have to do it from home. Right. Because if I don't do it from home, I get no internet it's signal. It's awful, at, right. Yeah. At, yeah, yeah. Other than sending individual emails, our internet is not good for anything. And so the creation of on-demand content has been trying to fill that that void you know, so we record a video, edit it, post it, you know, put it in a space where people can get it. But the problem is it like there's an element of of like I can't help but say this and I'm only talking about me. There's an element where it feels fake and very commercialized. It and does. It's like yeah. head on over to my website and watch these three videos, fill out the essay, do the thing and then send it right. in, you know, like and you're going to get a free T-shirt, you know, or something. <laughs> mash. Be sure to mash that like button and hit subscribe. <laughs> uh, so the but what we did for our middle or for our high school students is we didn't know if we were going to be able to meet in person at all all year. And right. August 24th, the Cardinal said, yeah, you guys can meet in person if you can do all the safety guidelines. And you're like, oh, my goodness. Like it just threw us for a loop, you know, after we have already done registration, all that stuff. So what we did during the summer was we created. I created six sessions called Reasonable Faith, and it's six sessions to speak directly to the preambles of faith. How do I know that God exists? What is the relationship between faith and reason, science and religion, Uh, man's search for meaning? Uh, How can we trust the Gospels, and can you trust the Bible? Right. So these were six sessions that I felt like were constantly coming under attack either by teenagers or for teenagers by, you know, YouTube channels, adults in their life, science teachers at school, whatever it might be. So we created this on demand content, an essay, and a quiz. You can go to, uh, there's a website that Ascension uses for a lot of their online content. It's called Thinkific, it's a teaching platform. So I just put all that content up there. You have to sign up, register. You go through all the classes. You can't go to the second class until you've done the first class. There's like quizzes that you have to get an 80% passing grade on. The what? quizzes are the Yeah. Th- this is this is cool. Yeah. So I mean it's expensive though. It costs like 500 bucks a year to host your content on there. But the more I explore and like learn about the platform, I'm like, yes, this is awesome. So we that's just- not that's not expensive. Not at all. I mean, it's expensive in my head. (laughs) It's expensive in my head. But the uh, and they always the thing with Thinkific is they always upsell you constantly. Every inch of their platform 
is devoted to upselling you, which drives me insane. But uh, so this content is just living there. After December 1st, uh, I'm going to retool it. And then I'm just going to like charge like 10, 20 bucks. I was talking with this guy who did a podcast called the Classical Theist Podcast. And he said, he was like, Gormley, I've watched all your videos. I didn't realize I wasn't allowed to. I went on. I read the essays, watched the videos. This is good quality stuff that people need to have. So just charge a nominal fee and and send it out there. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe I will. Ooh, I got all giddy. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> so we're doing this. Uh, so, yeah, that's a reasonable, what is it? Faithandreason.thinkific.com. Faithandreason.thinkific.com. Don't go there until after December 1st. So, so listen, so for yeah. that, so what you were saying is how you feel fake, you know? Yes. Um, so what I do is I do live webinars, but then I host them on my Patreon account. Yeah. You know, so that yeah. that has has helped because then you have the interaction and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's always about a hundred people from India who, after I say, please don't use the question button for anything but questions, they all say hi, Dave. The, the first hundred <laughs> people are people from India saying hello to me. That's the first oh, that is, questions. Are, are they yeah. Ciro Malabar, man? Because that, I, that I community. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, you find out. We got a lot of Ciro Malabar um, Catholics in our area. We, I have a priest who's Ciro Malabar. But they, uh, the whole area is super charismatic. Super charismatic. Okay. They Like Shalom Media oh, yeah, and all yeah, that stuff. All, yeah. right? That's all them, that. right? Yeah. And so uh, everyone does. And uh, they do they do so much work like these people like leave careers where they're making one hundred thousand dollars to make like twenty thousand and just you know spread the good news because they're so on fire. But they are drawn to this stuff like right. moths to a flame. I love it. There, I love there's there's it. one guy there's one guy who comes onto all my webinars from Australia and and he after every single webinar sends me an email of what I said that was new. Like and and literally he'll be like, You didn't say this was not any different content than last time. And I'll be like, What well, had the same title? Why did you why did you expect <laughs> different content? It's so funny. Like he gives me the critique of Oh, that so, is awesome. Yep. Yeah. We live in a world where people are constantly <laughs> evaluating everything we do. Uh and it only gets worse when it's online. But good people, good people. We have an email that I think is super interesting. Both me and Dave, uh, Dave used to work as the same thing that I did, adult faith formation, right? What do you do now? What's your what's your title now? <laughs> I don't. Uh, this is a funny thing. That's a funny question. <laughs> like not knowing the president right now, I also don't know exactly what I'm doing. I am. I have been hired at an organization, and I am being paid. But the the priest who uh, hired me is so busy and and almost visionary to a fault in the sense uh. that. Yeah, and so his gaze not, is long, not right. not immediate. <laughs> so I kind of pitched him like four or five ideas of what I could do over the next year for him, and he has not yet like bitten <laughs> on any of those. So so we'll see. Uh, I'm hoping to meet with him this week, but uh, I don't I don't have a, an official title. Can I can I just tell you what what your title is? Your title right now is. I have the dream job of Gomer. That is my dream. <laughs> There's some priest who's paying you, and it's affiliated with the church, but right. you're left alone enough that you can do a podcast. Well, with me. well, what's funny though is that it's not as dream job as you think, because like, uh, literally, like his cousin's a priest, and he's like, "Hey, uh, Father Chris said you could do this at our parish." And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, like, so they're awesome, yes, you know, yes. like that because the, there's like seven so of them. So funny. Just, like, so on on the topic of of working. <laughs> on the topic of working with in a parish working 
you know, so much of adult faith formation revolves around the big four letters of RCIA in parishes. Yeah. Um, the vast majority of Catholic parishes do not have anything for adults. That shocked me. Every parish I had been at, um, small uh, quasi-rural parishes to large ones, large suburban ones, they all have adult faith formation programs, whether or not they have a coordinator of it. They've all had that stuff. Weekly enrichment, small groups, small faith groups, uh, you know, lectionary study groups, whatever it might be. But I had no idea that the vast majority have no, uh, no faith formation for adults other than RCIA. Has that been your experience, Dave? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think that. Which is it's so it's so discouraging because adult faith formation is what's going to change things for us right now, you know. Um, but yeah, mostly it's RCIA, and I would say, in many of those cases, it's taken care of by one blanket person who's a religious yeah. education person, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. So in my parish, so we got an email from Lauren. I'm actually going to go to her parish in February. Super excited about that. Um, but she wanted to ask us a bunch of questions about RCIA, and she wanted to specifically go through two major issues. One is which is the question of of timing. Um, how do you start it? How do you do it? How do you segment people, especially those who are who come lately? And then how do you deal with like annulments, marriage issues, different things like that? So I just wanted to break down my process and invite Dave to critique and mock me with his own <laughs> process as we go forward. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay, so first I'm going to recommend the kind of like standard bearer of RCIA content. It's Team RCIA. Their website looks like it was made on a Microsoft Word document. However, the content that they have is, is pretty good, dang good. Yeah, yeah. And they, if you get emails, if you subscribe to their newsletter, every single, I would say probably at least once a month, you will get an email saying, year-round RCIA, why aren't you doing it yet? That is their main thing. So I want to say different places can implement the RCIA in a different way. Um, in my parish, we have done multiple different models to try to see what gets people engaged and, and all this stuff. And our class a year-round school year model is the only one that seems to work in our community. Our people disappear all summer long, but they are thoroughly engaged from about August 1st to uh, June 1st here in Texas, in the Houston, Texas area. And so we have tried. We have tried year round. Just come as you are, and then we'll, you know, get you on board. We'll go through this. Um, but the the school year model tends to work best for us. What about you, Dave? Yeah, I think it works best. It's not ideal. I don't. I mm -hmm. think it's. I think that's too much to get in. Uh, in it that is. amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. It's too much. But I. But but I've never seen. I, well, I'd love to know what the parish, like a really successful year round model is. Cause I always wanted, I was trying to convince my pastor, well, let's, let's make it year round and add, add in something like discovering Christ or a charisma series or something like yeah. that, you know? Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, the RCIA is divided into four parts. The first part is called the pre-catechumenate or inquiry, then the catechumenate, then purification and enlightenment, which is during Lent that leads right up to the sacraments. And then after the sacraments, it's mystagogy. Now, the important part of realizing this is this was invented in missionary fields. Right. So if you're evangelizing people who do not know Christ, you might be spending two, three years evangelizing them, talking about who Jesus is, what scripture is, all this stuff. That's what the church calls pre-catechumenate or right. inquiry. That whole time of evangelization of them getting to know the priest who's a missionary in Africa or whatever it might be. 
when that gets taken up and then plopped into a Christian or post-Christian country, things are a little bit different, right? And so we do like, what is inquiry? We're here for a lot of churches. Uh, Father Mike Schmitz, um, he has a, a thing that he does for his college students, which is like, you have to understand these four big things before you can decide whether or not you want to become Catholic. God, I think I, I might be getting this wrong, but it's like God, so Trinity, incarnation, that whole deal. God, faith, prayer, and church authority, right? Huh. If you can understand these four major things, then we can break open the creed, the sacraments, morality, and devotion throughout that year. So he invests like two hour, cl- I think it's about two hour classes. So I modeled mine around that because uh, at first I was doing more of like an alpha where it's like basic gospel message over and over and over again. Half the people in the room have heard it. Yeah, no, that's why I'm here. Yeah, no, I'm here because of that. The other half of the people in the room are just there because they're married to a Catholic and they want to have, quote, one religion in the home, right? (laughs) So that's an interesting starting point when it comes to inquiry. It's a a fuzzy place. What what have you seen, Dave? Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I think think that uh, the right person can integrate all of it right like i mean we've we've talked about this a million times right like that yeah uh you know the charisma the primacy of the charisma is important but that doesn't mean you can't i mean you can you can integrate charisma into the entire year if you have to so and and that's what i've been forced to do because uh, of the of the school year setting yeah and then when within that context there are a couple things that you need to realize that i think is very very important now i'm speaking generally about rci overall but the the main thing you have to realize is teaching a class is not the rcia it's a part of the rcia right it's a part of forming someone if you get get rid of the acronyms and all that stuff the church loves it is forming people to be lifelong disciples of jesus christ this means talking to them about their marriage. This means getting them involved with the clergy. This means um, getting them connected to big devotionals that happen at the parish level, couples in homes and families that bring them together. You have to have some aspect of the domestic church, the local, di- that is the diocesan church. You you need to try your best to weave all of this stuff together. And I'm going to tell you this. I am terrible at that. I am so terrible at that. I am. Ha- I could not tell you. I cannot tell you how happy I am that COVID ruined half our ministries because it gave me amazing people to steal to <laughs> from other ministries at my parish to help me. This one woman, Katie Crawl, heroic, awesome. Her ideas are so entirely not my ideas, but they are all the things that I know I've been lacking. I've been. Right. La- I'm, I lack the community dynamic. Her husband's a deacon. He just came in and gave everyone bottles of holy water and did blessings and all of that stuff. I don't think about that stuff. I'm like, all right, let's do covenant theology. Did 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 right. So I go and I I tend to make everything in uh, an, an overly intellectualized class. So okay, so I do maybe the opposite, maybe too much <laughs> the opposite. Like I stress Catholic culture, you know. And I, this is, this is from, from beginning to end. Like I always tell like my second grade CCD teachers, like, look, I'd rather you teach them how to receive communion. Like I would rather you stress how to receive communion than the inner dynamics of the theology of the Holy Eucharist. Like I want them to know certain things. I want them to know who this is, but as far as what you're stressing class after class after class, I want it to be how to receive. And I, I I tend to do that with RCA too. Like we do a lot of stuff 
in the church, do a lot of stuff, uh, church tours, things like that, because I just I, I've always found the pedagogy easier for them. To so it's you know it's so funny. You have what I would call a Jewish approach to catechesis, right? So I don't know if you know this, but there were over the years, centuries, um, Jewish different Jewish uh, theologians have thought, well, why don't we create a creed? And the kind right. of the resounding universal statement is deeds, not creeds. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, right. one of my favorite Jewish authors, Rabbi Maimonides, he composed a creed that was accepted by some, but basically hated by everyone in a sense. And the idea was participation in the, the liturgical calendar of Judaism educates you on the unity of, of God and the, and the uniqueness of Israel. Right. And so it's the deeds of worshiping as a community that informs. I uh, I take a more Catholic approach. So sorry, Dave. No, <laughs> I tend I tend to do this. And so this is what the, let me talk about. Speak to the speaking content, and then we'll go back to the questions more specifically. When I teach the catechumenate, every single thing about the catechumenate, like Dave said, is tied to the charisma. Every single thing. Every every all twenty something classes that we do is constantly referring back to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right. So, like, uh, when I introduce the, I, I just taught the class on the incarnation, and when I go through that, obviously, it's a lot easier. But I, so I back people up because I want to give them the narrative. And me and you did a whole episode on narrative. I give them the narrative of Israel. One of the things in my personal devotion when I'm reading the Gospel of Mark, it's short, it's pithy, it's written to a Roman audience of Gentiles, and yet it's filled with the Old Testament. So that clues you in that when they're evangelizing, they're using the Old Testament to tell the story of Jesus. And I need to get with that pedagogy as much as possible. So when I start constantly going over salvation history, I tend to situate doctrines within salvation history. As I'm going through with that, I realize that's what the catechism does. Like the catechism talks about God's self-revelation right. from the patriarchs to the age of the law, through the prophets, ultimately his final definitive word in Jesus. So leading up to that, I'm constantly referring to the cross, the cross, the cross, the resurrection of Jesus, right? Why? Because Jesus is the definitive son that Israel was an analogy to, right? Israel, out of Egypt, I have called my son. Well, Israel, Jesus isn't just fulfilling what happened to Israel. In a very real way, Israel prefigured and points to Jesus. And so once you go through that, they're like, oh, I get it now. The reason why Jesus is fully God and fully man is because every covenant leader in the past has failed whereas God is faithful. So now God comes into the story as man to fulfill and to uh, to be faithful to the covenant. And it's like lights go on when you weave that narrative. So I do that throughout the whole, and I weave personal devotion, rosaries, yeah, that's divine mercy chaplets, right. all that throughout every class. Right, right. I th And I think that, that the specific teaching on like mental prayer needs to be included at the beginning so that they can be doing it throughout the process because... Mm -hmm. Uh, that that's right. I mean, like I, I was just reading an article. I wish I could reference it because it was excellent, but it was talking about how faith, it has more to do with than like intellectual assent. And it was an excellent article about, mm. uh, you know, your relationship and obedience in particular, how those are the things that we place that on. And I think teaching that side is going to be really important because they should be practicing it while they're learning and preparing to come into the faith. The other thing I would say um, about what you said is, I, so things that we weave in, I weave in saints like crazy, right? Yeah. I weave in saints like crazy because I want, I want them to understand that what they're seeing right now is 
what they see, usually what happens is you ask, why do you want to become Catholic? And they say, oh, well, my wife's like the best person I know, you know, and she's Catholic and, and she, or my husband's the best or, or my mom or this or something. Right. And, um, and you'll, you'll start to think like, okay, so you think what it means to be Catholic is to be like that person. And we have to make sure that they understand like, well, no, the fullness of answering the call to be a Catholic is found in the lives of the saints, you know, like, so I, I think that's really important. Who's your favorite saint to use catechetically? Who do you think? You know, I always go St. back Francis to... St. Francis of Assisi? Yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. He uh, He's the first person that I read that I said he loved Jesus the way Jesus was meant to be loved. That's awesome. That really is awesome. Uh, yeah. I am diving into using the saints catechetically uh, and telling their story because we're getting all these relics from yeah, Father right. Carlos, and we're building yeah. this chapel, and it's going to be this beautiful reliquary. And we're getting epic saints. We're getting apostles and 21st century saints and all this stuff. And so um, I'm having to, you know, my buddy writes the bios, I read the bios, and then I, we do a 10 to 20 minute video on each saint, usually about 12 minutes long. And I recap half the bio and the things about their lives that then lead us deeper into following Christ. And it really is powerful. That's um, cool. Hey, you know what? You know yeah. what I call that chapel? What? My office. <laughs> I'm sure. How many <laughs> relics do you have in your office? Right now, how many relics do you have in your home? Sixty-four, <laughs> give or take. <laughs> Some are doubles, though. Yeah. Okay. So let me back up real quick. So the the weaving of the charisma, the teaching, the blending between personal witness, uh, community life, devotions, and giving them the theology uh, is all important because you're trying to get them to make a rational decision. My life has to be different in following the way of the Lord Jesus, right? That is a huge emphasis. So that's why I love that Dave focuses so much on the practical, the lived experience of saints. How do you inculcate uh, in this in your own faith, your own life? How do we do it as a community? The other thing that you that that I start out with is, number one, you have to understand who you're talking to. Um, in our diocese, they have a questionnaire that was made in like 1992 that was published and you're supposed to just walk through and answer these questions and interview every single couple or, or individual. I found that that is the most valuable thing I do in the entire RCI process right. is having my one-on-one -on -one time with the individual seeking Christ because not only do I have year-round RCIA for the unbaptized, um, I also have a semester-intensive version for the baptized and well-formed Protestant who wants to become Catholic. So I kind of run two different programs at the same time. One is called Inclusion, and the other is uh, RCIA, or I call it Initiation. I wanted to call Adult Confirmation Ignition, so I'd have Initiation, Inclusion, and Ignition, but no one no one liked that idea. How dare they? Um, but <laughs> Inclusion focuses all in on the differences that we have to understand between Catholics and Protestants and what the Catholic Church says about herself. It's not like hatred, but it is apologetics. It's theology, and it's walking them through the big areas. Now, when I have someone, so what I did was I took that archdiocesan questionnaire, and I put it on our website. So the first thing they see when they want to become, they read a little bit about the program, they click a button, and then a web form comes up. That goes to me so that before they come in, I have the broad sketches. We already have their information, email, phone number captured for our Excel spreadsheets. But also, I'm looking, okay, they have one previous marriage before they got married. Here's right. why they're, we, we, you know, we have a little box like, why are you here now? Like, what is it? That way, I can talk to them 
from a place of knowledge rather than exploring where it, they might feel uncomfortable. I, uh, now they know there's a sheet of paper that says, yes, I was married once before. And so we can talk about that. Also, what I found in doing, I've, I've probably done about 130 of these interviews in the last, let's say, four years that I've begun tweaking how we meet with people. And I realized that the church's catechesis or the church's theology of marriage is so different from our culture. Most people show up with multiple marriages. My spouse, who doesn't care about being Catholic, has been married twice. Why does that affect me? Um, so what we do is we send them a single PDF. It's on the website. Uh, if they didn't read it, we send it to them in our initial welcome email. And in that PDF, it explains marriage and marriage issues. And that way, they can have some knowledge. It takes the sting out of the surprise. For many, like, what do you mean this is a problem? So that when they come to me, they already have questions to ask. And you can go to our website, ap.church. Uh, I think you go to sacraments, baptism, make sure you're on the adult tab. Um, but the the idea of it is you want to give them enough information that they can be to carry on a conversation with you, not feel stupid, ignorant, whatever, but also that you're talking directly to their problem and not wasting their time. You know, I used to have to do my first year. Like, I'm like, well, have you ever been married before? Have you ever done this? Have you ever done that? People right. would hide it out of embarrassment. Yeah, I was married for like six months, but we don't, the kids don't even know. And you're like, ah, okay, well, you know, this way it just gets it all out, all up front. And I can then spend as much time as I need with that couple well, or individual. Yeah, yeah. And let me just say, practically speaking, like Omer's talking to the spiritual side and to the interhuman, you know, interpersonal side. Um, but practically speaking, you got to know that stuff way up front because it it can get really complicated. And it like if you're start if you're doing a school year long, you want to start working on those annulment cases right away because they can take a very very long time. The other thing I would say is, like I can tell you that there are nuances to marriage law in the church that I. <laughs> they're way too i mean there's so many nuances that i can't understand so bring somebody in before you start answering questions because you you very well could be very well educated in this and still be wrong on certain things yeah yeah so i'm very lucky that uh my friend who helps assist me with a lot of this stuff she's received the she's an annulment case sponsor oh, she has cool. all the background okay. and stuff she just got that certification during covid so uh, it was really, it's really helpful and powerful, you know, to understand what a radical sanation is and how that differs right. from a convalidation and all this stuff. But with couples, so the first question that Lauren says is, you mentioned a couple of occasions you separate the unbaptized and unformed Christians from baptized and formed Christians. How do you make this work? So we sit down and we talk about it. When I do the interviews in June, July, August, um, you know, uh, September, we break down and I understand like where they're coming from. If they say, yes, I was baptized. My first question is, so tell me about yourself. Were you raised in a religious family? No, not really. We went to church a handful of times. I mean, I was baptized, but then high school happened or then middle school happened or then we moved or then we emigrated or whatever it might be. All of a sudden you realize, oh, these people have no faith. They really don't. But there's right. something there's something haunting them that is Christ-like, right? That's drawing them to you. So that's important to know where they're coming from and all that stuff. But there are uh, right now there are uh, four people that I said to them, "You do not have to come to any formation. You are so ready. Your life is in conformity. You've been coming to mass for six months. You're studying and reading all this stuff. It's time for you to enter." 
And I don't want to erect barriers to them being able to do that. They're already baptized. They're I'm so either. happy you said that. I'm so yeah. happy you said that. They said, yeah, I mean, I got in so much trouble. Like the last year I was working at a parish or no, no, maybe a year before last, uh, uh, somebody came to me, um, who was a medical person, uh, was working with one of my kids and they were saying, you know, my husband, he, he works every Monday night and that's it for, for the last 20 years. That's all they've ever had RCIA on. And yeah. I was like, oh, your husband's not Catholic. She's like, no. And I was like, oh, well, it seems like he believes everything. And she's like, he does. He believes everything. She said, I, he knows more about the Catholic faith than I do. I had one meeting with the person and I was like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to bring you into the church. I got in so much trouble, you know, for overstepping the bounds, but that is, we have to, we want people to be in, yeah. in the ark of salvation, right? I mean, this is this is what we want, and so don't we shouldn't place unnecessary burdens on people. Yeah. So let me give you a stupid story about that. The previous, previous, previous RCIA person. This guy comes and basically says, "Is when he was fired." Um, you know, when people get fired, their emails come to light, conversations come to light, people feel free to talk now, like what people did in the past. And this one conversation, guys, an oil rig worker. I live here in the Gulf of Mexico, 27 days on, 27 days off. I'm yeah. sorry, you can't become Catholic because you missed three days. Insane. Insane. And so what what uh yeah, yeah. The person who hired me, she was like, This is ridiculous. So she sent them the confirmation makeup homework lessons for like the high school students. And she's like, if you can go through these 20 lessons, I'll consider within one week, he had done all 20. He was hungry to do it. He had done it every year for three years, but he kept running into the same obstacle. And it's like people, these are people's faith. This is life. This is salvation. Right. right and right. we're turning. I, now I have a huge allergy to red tape. Yeah. Uh, let me, let me just say this. I have a huge allergy. I cut it. I get rid of it everywhere I can. But I will say this. There are essentials. Then there are a second layer of non-essentials that protect the essentials. So when you look at the RCIA, you have to realize that book is guidelines for the individual rights. Who should go, who, go to them? Who should be a part of them? Who should celebrate them? How do you celebrate them for bringing people into the church for the unbaptized? There are appendices of what do you do with the already baptized you have a great freedom to work with those who are already baptized, right? Right. So when I do inclusion, I dispense with like 90% of that stuff because it's not edifying to them. It feels like hoop jumping, right? And especially in this craziness, people feel paralyzed. I can't go to this thing. Um, here I am and uh, I want, I have this desire to do it. And yeah, it, it's so frustrating when when we on our conveyor belts of truth uh, demand everyone take the shape of their container, right? Like, guys, people are so different. That's the crucialness of the opening interview. Um, so then, coming up with that, um, when I deal with inquirers, um, I have a lot of a lot less adults who want to be baptized than I do baptized adults who want to be Catholic. What about you, Dave? Uh, yeah, certainly. Yeah, I think yeah, that's I got like right. Yeah, yeah, we got like six or four adults who have not been baptized. Then we have another group of adults who are baptized but need longer formation. So they all go to the RCIA. When we do the rites that belong just to the unbaptized, I say, hey, come here, come pray for them, support them, but you don't belong. You are a member of the order of the faithful. Even though you're a Protestant or whatever, you belong to the order of the faithful. You have every right to be here and to pray with the community. 
So um, that's another thing about you're distinguishing the baptized from the unbaptized because they really are members of the church imperfectly, but they are members of the church if they are baptized. Gomer, so, okay, so yeah. one of the things you haven't brought up is like anything pre-RCIA in the sense that are you offering like come and see nights? Are you offering Q&A sessions? Are you, yeah. what do you, because yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. So what we do, we have a, a couple series that we run typically in a year. We run them four times called the Start Here series. And okay, that is for right. people who are inquiring, wondering. And it's it's basically one hour on a, on one topic, three nights, um, three weeks in a row. You just come for an hour. I will stay for another hour and do question and answer about anything in particular about the topic. You're, you're welcome to leave. You're welcome to stay. And what that does is it gets people thinking about faith as an adult. Um, and so some people have questions, they're wondering, they're searching, they're trying to do stuff. Um, that's what we do. Then for the pre-catechumenate, we do the four big questions, basically, of Father Mike Schmitz. Like, what does it mean to believe in God? What is what is faith? What is prayer? Um, you know, those, those types of stuff. Uh, what is the authority of the church? Because they are becoming Catholic. So it's like, but they, but the problem is the pre-catechumenate was designed for missionary territory. So what I do is we give them homework that's like, do I really want to be a part of this? Right. right. So that's really our, our our big thing. Now, we also have 39 different adult faith formation programs, events, and retreats. So the majority of adults who want to be baptized, many of them come through a funnel of one of those. I went to this yeah, Bible study with my wife. It changed right. my life. Boom. I went on an axe retreat. It changed my life. Boom. So we do have things in the community that would be akin to a missionary evangelizing. Right. Right, right. You do okay, discover I, Christ. Is that what you do? Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends. It depends. Different parishes do different things. Yeah, I've done. Yeah. We've done discovering Christ. Um, if if it's up to me, I I just do my own thing. Like I yeah. I put together this thing like uh, Jesus is. It was called. It was a series, and it was it was good. How, I mean, it, how it, long? It worked how out long well. was it? It was five weeks. Okay. So yeah, yeah. So you want you want people to be able to commit without feeling like they're crushed by. Because the RCIA is a whole year commitment. Like people's lives right. are going to be inc- like every Sunday morning, I own your soul. Um, how I right. run the RCIA program is you show up at the 9 a.m. mass. You get dismissed for breaking open the word after the homily. And then immediately following that, we have class. We used to have classes on Thursday nights. And I found that people coming from downtown couldn't get there on time. People would okay. miss. Okay. Kids stuff okay. would happen. Kids stuff almost never happens Sunday morning. So I'm like, hey. This is what you have to understand. I own you. <laughs> I own your Sunday mornings. Uh, right. From I, I just sell them budget nine to noon. You'll get out before noon, but budget nine to noon, uh, you're you're going to be at church, and it's awesome. It builds a little community. People after they become Catholic, they're like, I miss Sunday mornings with everyone. I miss oh, yeah. reading scripture. I, lo- I love it. I love hearing that. I love hearing yeah. that. Yeah, so um, we kind of already touched on how do you handle stuff throughout the year. What do you do for newcomers that come in like December and you've I'm, already I'm, started? Meet one on one, meet one on one. I catch them up. Yeah, okay. I catch them up, and and like you said before, knowing where their where the deficits are, are can be important. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, my other thing that I do is I record all of my RCIA conversations, all my talks, everything, inclusion, adult confirmation. I record them all, and I post them online. So I'll say, okay, start listening. You got to listen to one, two, and three, and then okay. we'll meet next That's week. Smart. Or we'll meet That's in two smart. weeks. Yeah. And it's super easy. If you have an iPhone, uh, if you have an Android phone, you need to buy an iPhone. You put it in airplane <laughs> mode, then put do not disturb because a text message or a phone call will interrupt it. And then just use the voice memos app, put it in your shirt pocket, record yourself giving a talk. 
and then take that audio and find some mp3 place that'll host it and you have right then an archive of your class so people can go and listen it's great so lastly uh what is your approach for people who are in need of annulments they've already talked about that a little bit get them started with the process right away it's so hard to bring this to people's attention right from the beginning uh, when we're trying to st start such a significant process also come on it's a huge leap of trust in the church uh, when they're just starting to open up the door of the to the church so uh what do we do what do you, what do you do dave what's what's your process so, for so i would i would meet with them and do a quick marriage 101 thing because what she said is so important it's a it's a huge leap of trust right um but then i immediately get them with someone who knows more than me right yep. uh usually uh, you know if a deacon has been doing marriages for more than 20 years, 30 years, yeah. a parish priest no, usually knows a lot more about annulments than even canon lawyers, you know, because they've just done so many. Yeah. So, you know, I can't answer the question. So I just immediately get them involved because I know I know of times where um, entrance into the church has been held up by by annulment issues. So you want to get it done quick. Yeah. OK, let me tell you a funny story and then we'll throw it out to commercial break. Number one. When you look at the church's teaching on people who are cohabitating or engage or married in a um, improper marriage, right? Uh, when you look at that, what does the church say? The church originally said they need to separate domiciles until all of this stuff can be reconciled correctly within the uh, eyes of the church. Pope John Paul II in Familiaris Consortio said, "Well, these couples, if their lives are joined together, uh, you know, financially, all this stuff." that the strain and burden of physically separating domiciles would be too much. Um, also, if you can avoid scandal, which is the origin of separating domiciles, if you can avoid scandal in the community, then they can remain living together as long as they live as brother and brother sister. And sister. Okay, now you have to understand this. This is not a loophole. This is the church's teaching, is of that course. they are to refrain from sexual intercourse. Okay, now, I can't tell you how many times I have done research about this, and diocese will say... Get their marriage stuff done first and then bring them into the church because they're not going to refrain from sexual congress. They are going to keep committing fornication or adultery. Oh my and gosh. therefore, it just makes sense to bring them in. My thought was, wow, sounds like we're not doing a lot of moral formation and we're right. asking nothing of these people. So if people want to wait, delay their entrance into the church until after their enrollment's granted, Okay, you can come to this Bible study, keep coming to Mass, do all this stuff. However, I have this conversation with everyone. It is not a loophole to say, does your love for the Eucharist outweigh your love for the marriage bed? Right. Can you and your spouse push pause in a very intimate, personal, but and significant way in order? And if so, you can come into church tomorrow, right? You can. That's the impediment. The impediment is the fornication or the adultery, the individual isolated act, not the domicile arrangement. I had one couple who uh, the man had um, a lot of illnesses and he could not sleep with his current wife. But he was turned away by the church and said, until this gets fixed, you can't become because Catholic. Because of, oh my gosh. And that I said, that's not true. And I went to war over it. And I was, and he was dismissive. Well, he didn't get it. He just thought, well, the church doesn't want me because I'm not perfect enough. Right. Right. And the, and the guy the guy was super old and he he wasn't like he's not like the you know an, an intellectual he didn't understand what was happening he just knew the church turned him away.
Right. Um, I have other couples who their annulment took four years and they abstained the entire four years. Yeah. Because and their love for the Eucharist, their marriage has never been better because they express intimacy in non-sexual ways. Yeah, and they. Uh, I mean, this is. Uh it's just something you it's a it's like a dragon you got to stare in the face you know what i mean yeah. it's like it's just a it's conversations that you have to have and i think probably a lot of the rules come about because they're afraid of having these conversations yeah, hundred and so i called the guy at my archdiocese and i said hey i'm reading this document the last thing says it might be preferable to wait and he said well you know because they they're not fully catholic so they don't fully understand all the teaching about marriage and they don't understand this and they don't understand that so we just found i said well Tell me if I'm wrong. And so I told them about the whole t- encouraging them to a- abstain. And it was dead silence. And he goes, do you actually do that? You have that conversation? I said, yeah, of course. And he said, <laughs> I bet you are one out of two or three people out of the 165 parishes that would say that to a couple. And I, and I said, but isn't that what we're supposed to do? He goes, well, of course it's what we're supposed to do, but no one does it. And I was like, well, I'm looking at this piece of paper and it basically tells me not to. So what is the right thing? He said, what you said is the right thing, but we don't believe that people can, you know, just practically speaking, people can't abstain that long. And I said, oh, really, father? Really, father? Really, celibate male? Can you abstain that long? And he's like, all right, I get your point. And I was like, okay, so am I right or wrong? He said, no, you're right. That's how you should do it. And they rewrote the guidelines to reflect that. Yeah. And I was like, thank you for acknowledging what we ought to be doing. Yeah, I, it's it's a uh, it's frustrating because we make so, so many rules based on uh, we're catering to a culture, right? We're catering yeah. to a culture, and and we don't we shouldn't be doing that. We should be moving the culture. So we're gonna come back in just a minute. Uh, you'll hear some probably some awesome stuff from AscensionPress.com, uh, the sponsors of this podcast. We love being a part of the Ascension Press community. We come back. We'll give you uh, some practical takeaways. Confirmation prep is so important because it could be the moment where candidates connect deeply to their Catholic faith, even at Jesus Christ himself. But the gap between how it is and how it could be is often wide, especially these days. And parishes and their catechists could use vision, training, and strategy. I'm Colin McIver, an author at Ascension and also youth minister at a parish. We created the Catechist Field Guide to Confirmation to help catechists ace confirmation prep, no matter their skill or experience teaching teens. The Field Guide gives catechists the insights and guidance they need to feel confident as they take on the mission of sharing the faith with their confirmation candidates. The Field Guide contains a crash course in confirmation and understanding of the five stages of effective confirmation prep, classroom management strategies and information about teaching the faith, a deep dive into the art of confirmation, and let's not forget a section on how to use technology to navigate these unprecedented times. Our hope here at Ascension is that this field guide will be an important tool in making confirmation prep more of what it could be, a kickstart to lifelong discipleship for your candidates. To order your copy today, go to ascensionpress.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Every Knee Shall Bow. Dave, I have a special announcement. You want to hear it? Yeah. You want to hear it? Here it goes. If you are thinking about being a youth minister and you would like to work with Michael Joseph Gormley, a.k.a. Gomer, send your resumes to EKSB at AscensionPress.com. I will gather them close to my heart. I am now hiring two youth ministers, a middle school and a high schooler. And uh, not high schooler, but a high school youth minister. And I would love, uh, I would love to get evangelists who care about evangelization to the point where they're listening to podcasts on it. Well, oh yeah, what, oh yeah. 
what if I just go on the record right now and apply for high school right now, right now, to for you to be uh, my boss? You're hired. You are I hired. Hate high schoolers. Is that a, is that a no? That, no, you have to have a you. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Do you have a theology degree? Uh, yeah, uh, disqualified. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. no, I. I, uh, I'm super excited to be able to begin this process. The whirlwind from September to today has been so nuts, but we finally got all the job descriptions out and all this stuff and um, sending them out to the usual suspects. Thank you, Franciscan University and Bob Rice. Um, but yeah. we're, we're getting them out, and they're slowly starting to trickle, and I'm getting emails and inquiries and stuff. But I told, every, I told my boss, I will tell this on every niche about because those are the kind of folks I want to work with. Right, right. And for me, I want Franciscan grads who did net for two years. Yes, yes. I don't want that at all. I don't want that at all. You think you know everything about No, you actually do. All right. Uh, practical takeaway number one. Now, this is totally Gomer territory. Dave probably doesn't care about this at all. I think it's very important. I stress over this. Number one, look at your website. Do an audit and say, does this actually speak to people inquiring about faith? Does this prepare them for an interview with me? Does this inform them about the whole process? Or is it really just Christian speak for insiders? Case in point, is it called the RCIA on your website? Do you think people who don't know Jesus know what the RCIA is? No, they don't. So how are you drumming up excitement and passing out information that connects seekers to faith? Number two, uh, when you're running RCIA, weave in Catholic culture, saints, church buildings, devotions, how to pray, all those things are so important. Oh, wow, Dave. That's so practical. Oh, man. So many deeds instead of creeds. <laughs> all right. Number three, only do the creed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you're gonna, if you're a person that's actually helping, maybe you're a volunteer assisting your priest, um, maybe you're a full-time employee, DRE, whatever, and you have a responsibility over RCIA, uh, you know, all of this stuff, what I would have you do next professionally to prepare is to sit down and script out your interview. This is what I did. I used a template just from a diocesan thing. Hey, you should ask these questions. And I scripted out my interview so that I can be pastorally and spiritually aware of what's going on in their lives and it could be beneficial to them. So let me just give you a quick for instance and then we'll wrap up. Uh, I had a couple, young couple in their 20s. Um, they would say things like, you know, well, his job got, they're not married. His job got moved here. So, you know, we moved here. So I knew, okay, they're cohabitating. They're doing all this stuff. And so I was like, okay, we have to talk about these issues in a way that lets them understand when you go through the RCIA, these are things that we're going to go through. So they're engaged, but they're not married. So we start talking about this stuff. Dave, it was so amazing how the Lord can just shape and mold these conversations. If you're bold enough and honest enough, and you personally are humble enough, you're not trying to shove it at them because they don't know. So you're leading them pastorally, but you're going for true change and conversion. And all of a sudden, you know, these people are in tears, right? They're talking about fertility issues that they got diagnosed with yesterday before coming into my office. Same stuff my wife has been struggling with. So they're, they're like, all of a sudden now we're friends. I'm giving them book recommendations, all this stuff. Part of scripting out is really just so you can be prepared. Be prepared for the hard questions. Be prepared for the difficult circumstances and know what you're going to say so that, one, you speak the truth. Two, you do so lovingly, right? You don't ignore it. I have so many people just ignore it. Oh, okay, well, I'm not going to ask them questions about are they cohabitating with this young couple because I don't want to have to deal. No, deal, deal, but do deal. it in a powerful way. It's part of your job, part of your job. 
That's it. Dave, why don't you send them home? Send them home. Their bags well, are back. This they got their tickets. <laughs> send them home. I hope this has been beneficial to you. I know this is something, an episode I would have loved to have heard when I first began working for the church. So uh, this has been Every Knee Shall Bow and pray for us. We always pray for you and we'll see you next week. God bless. All right, everyone. God bless. Send me your resumes. <laughs>